Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, Ephesians is an interesting chapter, and what I love about it is, for me, Ephesians is one of the most practical letters that Paul writes. Um, It really kind of puts, how do I want to say this? It makes the Christian walk and the Christian behavior a little bit more black and white for us. Tells us what we can do, what we can't do. Um, And as we talk about One of what I believe to be one of the most misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. There are a couple foundations that I need to lay, as we are a few foundations I need to lay. In the heat of our world church, discussing the role of gender in the church, what who can do, what where they can do it, it is important for us as we read these passages to understand what the scriptures are saying, not what we think they are saying. There is a big difference. So the foundations that I need to set as we talk about what Paul is discussing in Ephesians chapter 5 are these three things. Number one, this passage is not about authority. The passage we are about to read is not about authority. This has nothing to do with who calls the shots, who makes the decisions, and who is allowed to earn more money, and who is allowed to do what. This passage is not about authority. It is about Service and love. You don't know what passage we're reading yet, but don't worry, we'll get there. Number two, originally scripture was not written in verses with neat titles to differentiate the sections. It's important to remember this because we like to read scripture often forgetting it is a greater narrative. And sections are not independent of each other where where their context can be ignored. And number three, for some reason we are afraid of politics today. We say that the two things you can't talk about with people are religion and politics, and then we wonder why both of those things seem to be getting worse when we can't even discuss them. We're afraid to talk about them now, but Paul and the apostles were not afraid to talk about politics then. In fact, just about every verse in the New Testament carries with it the implication that the Roman way of doing things or the cultural way of doing things was wrong. If I tell you that you can only marry one wife or husband, I am implying that you cannot marry multiple. To command you to do one thing is to imply that its opposite is inappropriate, is a, not, a, not necessarily a condemnation, but in many ways, yes, absolutely. If I tell you that your money belongs to God and that you are a steward of money that is not yours, what am I implying about the money that you earned? By making one statement, you are implying something else. So when Paul talks about the commands of the way that a Christian should live, he is also implying that the other ways to live are not proper and are not okay. There is a lot more subtle anti-empire verses in the New Testament than sometimes we are comfortable with. 
So Paul, in the beginning of chapter 5, lays out instructions for how Christians should live. And he instructs us in verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved, <clears throat> as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Everything that Paul lays out and everything we are about to read is based on this foundation. To be imitators of God and to walk in love. There is no distinction here. Paul is not talking and saying women do this and men do that. He is saying all Christians that I am writing to, all believers that I am writing to, you are to walk in love and you are to be imitators of God. So Paul in chapter 5 continues to give commands about how to live and they are all very practical suggestions. But we are going to skip ahead to verse 19. I'm sorry, 18, verse 18. As it is the last complete sentence before we dive into this morning's passage of focus. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reference or out of reverence for Christ. The last point that Paul makes as he, as he transitions is to submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Mutual submission is the call of every single believer. Mutual submission does not happen if only one party submits. Mutual submission is just that, mutual. When you are married, the calls for how to live don't suddenly change. Former guidelines of how you should live as a Christian don't suddenly stop applying to you. If you are married, do you stop walking in love? Do you stop imitating God? Do you stop mutually submitting? This reciprocity of submission is very important as we understand and read, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. Women are asked to submit themselves to their husbands in the same way that the church submits to Christ. The question becomes, with this statement, what are women, what are women, submitting themselves to exactly. Does this mean that a woman has no decision-making power? Is this submission one of authority or something different? To understand this, we must keep reading and we must understand the second half of this command from Paul, starting in verse 25. Husband, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Women are called to submit to a love that reflects the very love of Christ. That is what women are called to submit to. If we want to talk about authority, and if we want to talk about Christ having authority over the church, or men having authority over women, then let's look at how Christ interacts with his church. In Philippians chapter 2, you do not need to turn there, I'll read it for you. Philippians chapter 2, in verse 4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, this is Jesus speaking, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The love that Christ displays for his church is not one of authority. It is one of sacrifice and service. It is one of sacrifice and service. The authority that Christ displays, the authority that God displays is an authority that follows over all the universe. But when it comes to his church, he humbles himself and he sacrifices everything that they may be sanctified, justified, and find salvation. So then what are women submitting to? They are submitting to a love that seeks them to have an abundant life. They are submitting to a man that will sacrifice himself for her. They are, they are submitting themselves to a man who is looking at their interests and seeking constantly to love his wife in humility and seek her success. And what and how is a man loving his wife? To look at her interests. To create an environment where she is able to succeed. And let me be clear on this. Women, when they submit, when they are called to submit, and I, and I, and I don't want to pretend like this isn't what it means. When it says submit, it means submit. This is literally to come under someone or to to cast away any rank that you have and come under the rank of someone else. This is not like there's no wordplay here that I can get away with. 
Submit is submit. The assumption that Paul makes is that when a wife submits to her husband, what she is submitting to follows the love of Christ. Period. That is the assumption that Paul makes as he commands this. To love like Christ loved. Love like Christ loves his church. To me, as a man, and let me just be honest with you, that is not a message of empowerment for me. That is a message of incredible responsibility. That is absolutely scary for me. Because I know how many times I would mess up. I've heard countless men over the last week tell me how they would respond if they were put in the same room as the 19-year-old, I believe he was 19, maybe I was wrong, um, as a 19-year-old who shot up his school. Is it seven? It's, one of, it's either 17 or 19. I've seen both, both numbers. I've seen countless, and I watched the video of the father who tried to attack Larry Nasser in a courtroom setting. And yet this is the same Larry Nasser that if he was the only man alive, Christ would have died for him. And I wonder if I was put in those same shoes, how I would respond. Would I be able to love that, those men with the same love that Christ has? And yet I'm called to do that in my marriage, which for now is non-existent, admittedly. This is not a message of empowerment. This is a message of responsibility. This is a heavy weight that we are to carry. It is something to be taken seriously and not lightly. The way that Christ loves the church is not about authority. And so if we read this as who gets to call the shots in the house or who gets to call the shots in the church, we've missed the true beauty of Paul's message. Remember when I said they weren't afraid to be political. The patriarchal nature of society and culture is exactly what Paul is arguing against. Because for centuries, for all of life, it has always been that the woman apart from a man really can't do much. But if the man is actively seeking her success and for her to thrive, so that they both would thrive, suddenly it's not so patriarchal anymore. This isn't a women do what your husbands say and husbands command your wife and boss her around. This is a message of humility. This is why I serve your husband with humility because your husband wants you to have life abundantly, wants to serve you and sacrifice for you. And husbands, this is a message of humility to say, love like Christ's love, not how you want to love. To reflect him and not simply yourself. And the reason I put so much pressure on the men today it's not because I've suddenly become a feminist. It's not because I've suddenly become so politically one way or the other that I'm willing to take that stand. Simply put, when Paul writes this passage, if you look at verses 22 through 32, it is 11 or, 10, or 33, I'm sorry, it is 11 verses. Only four talk about the role of women, but nine of them, because there's a couple overlap, Nine of them talk about the men. Paul gives greater attention 
to the role of men than he does to women in this passage. And for us to read this as saying that it is only about women is to completely miss it and is to ignore the majority of this passage. And I want to make this clear as well. If a husband is not loving his wife like Christ loved the church, it is absolutely impossible for his wife to submit to him. If the husband is not loving his wife like Christ loved the church, he will seek authority and he will eventually begin asking things that would cause the wife to compromise her faith. And we are Christians and believers first before anything else. If we have accepted Jesus' sacrifice, if we have become a Christian, we are that before anything else, that we are to follow God's law before man's law. And so if I'm called to submit to you, and you are called to love me like Christ loved, then if you're not loving me that way, I can't submit to you. Because my first call as a woman is to submit to Christ. Mutual submission absolutely cannot happen if both parties aren't willing to be humble, and to follow Christ. Every spouse's first priority is to submit to God. So husbands, if your wife is not acting in submission, the very first place you should look is yourself. To ask yourself, is there something that I am doing that is creating an environment where she cannot submit? Understand that you could always be the source of this issue. And the second place you should look is at her. And when you look at her, it is not to say it's your fault you're not doing this, but instead it is a conversation to understand the root of the problem. Wives, I will say the same thing to you. If your husband is not loving you, like Christ loved the church, the first place I would call you to look is yourself. Do you have a flawed understanding of what Christ's love is and how he has loved his church? Are you shutting yourself off in a way that he, he can't love you? And then the second place you look is at him and you have a conversation about what's happening. But I want to be absolutely clear here because this is very, very careful and treacherous ground, and it's a very thin line I'm walking right now. This is not a message of shame. I am not saying to have introspection because you are inherently and always the problem. And if there is abuse in a household, it is never the victim's fault. If you hit your wife or your wife hits you, Simply put, that is never the victim's fault. And that is a problem with the abuser. So I do not want to say, oh, my, if, if, if my wife or my husband is hitting me, maybe it's my fault. No, if they're hitting you. Now, okay, granted, if you hit them first, okay. But if they're hitting you, if they come home from work and they hit you and they abuse you emotionally, physically, economically, whatever... Whatever it may be, that is an abuser, an abuser problem that is not a victim problem. And I want to speak on that because it's very, very easy to hear what I've said today and think that you are the problem. And believe me and hear me, if you are a victim of abuse, you are not the problem. 
When I talk about introspection, when I talk about looking at ourselves first, I am talking about the day in and day out monotony of life. Because absolutely that is what Paul is talking about. Lastly, this morning I want to address our holiness topic. There is a misunderstanding based on this passage that has led many to mistakenly believe that a husband is responsible for the sanctification and faith of his wife. In fact, entire churches have fallen apart and have been built, well, first have been built up on this and then fallen apart because of it. There is a popular megachurch that now is closed down. If you've ever heard the name Pastor Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill, very much they taught this way of male headship and that the, that the husband is responsible for the faith of his wife. And there are stories now coming out out of the fallout of that church of women who are speaking up and saying, if, if when the men walked in, if you spoke to them out of turn, then your husband could lose his job if he worked for the church. You would be completely put under censorship, be, be um, forbidden from teaching. And your husband would be told, you need to get your wife under control because she is walking away from Jesus. And she is under the command of Satan. There is a very real misunderstanding that says that somehow husbands are supposed to be responsible for the sanctification and the faith of their wives. And when I say sanctification, for those of you who may not understand what that term means, justification is the moment of salvation. It says you are justified, you are, you are vindicated. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ. Sanctification is the process of putting away the old and, and bringing in the new. It is the continual transformation that Christ offers us as Christians. It is the work of a lifetime. So all of us, if you've accepted Christ, you were justified. For the rest of your life, you will be in a process of sanctification. The verses that this misunderstanding comes from are verses 25 to 27. I'm going to read it again for you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. First things first. It is only Jesus who justifies, sanctifies, and saves. It is absolutely impossible for you and I to sanctify or save anyone else. On the flip side of that, it is absolutely possible for us to destroy the faith of someone else. In fact, it is far easier for us to destroy than it is for us to create. It is impossible for you and I to prevent someone without blemish, and it is impossible for you and I to make someone holy. That is the work of Jesus God and the Holy Spirit that is not our work. Secondly, notice the grammatical change here. Paul opens this command with a second person. You, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then watch as when he switches to talking about Christ, he switches to third person. Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. 
he switches to a third person, using what Christ does with the church as an example, but not as the bar that you are called to meet all the time. Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her. Not by telling her how to live or what to do, but by offering himself up for her gain. Now, absolutely, our job as men and as husbands is to take care of the faith of our wives, is to do what we can as Christians to encourage each other along and to encourage each other closer to God. But you are not responsible for the salvation of your wife. And wives, you are not responsible for the salvation of your husbands. That's on them and God. So I don't want you to walk around beating yourself up because somehow you can't meet this impossible standard. The entire point of Jesus meeting that standard was that you don't have to. And because ultimately, you can't. And I can't. Husbands, your role is to enable and empower your wife to be all that God calls her to be. Your role is to love her in a way that looks to her interests and success. And your role is to create an environment where your wife can thrive. This is submission. You are submitting your pride and authority in order to create an environment where she is lifted up. And because wives, you are called to submit to your husbands, then guess what? The same thing happens for the husband. Your wife... Wives, you are creating an environment where your husband can thrive. Wives, you are empowering your husband to be all that God has called him to be. And wives, you are looking to your husband's interests and successes in all parts of his life. Do you see the beauty that comes from mutual submission? When we lay down our pride and we say, listen, I want you to be successful because I love you and God loves you. I want you to thrive, and I want you to have an abundant life because God wants me to have an abundant life. You see the beauty there. This isn't about decision-making. This isn't about who gets to call the shots. After all, if by marrying each other we become one, how can you have one above the other if you're both the same? Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, and I love how Paul ends this section, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Are only husbands to love like Christ? Or are only wives called to submit? Not at all. It is for everyone. The true essence of love for one another is not based on authority. Rather, Paul is simply just explaining the further responsibilities that come with being married. The true essence of love has everything to do with service, submission, and seeking an abundant life for the one 
who you are, no matter who you are.